Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where executives and entrepreneurs access insights into the future of business and work. Candid interviews with the world's most innovative and disruptive CEOs slash game changers focus on the impact of technology and workplace culture to an organization's readiness for the future. Your host, Allison K. Summers, is the author of Connect to Influence and has coached, mentored, and worked with CEOs, presidents, and senior leaders from over 90 countries in her 25-year career as a global leadership architect. Allison is on a mission to search the globe to bring you accomplished, cutting-edge thinkers in the world of business to learn from. Now, here is your host, Allison K. Summers. Hi, this is Allison K. Summers, and welcome to this episode of Disruptive CEO Nation. I am really excited to speak with our guest, Adrian. And Adrian, we're going to let you give us all of your good details in a second. But until I met Adrian, I did not know how unfulfilled my life was because I didn't have a portrait of my DNA hanging on my office wall. And so, um, Adrian, so listeners can understand what I meant by that comment. Can you tell us a little bit about your companies and about the projects that you're involved in today? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. Um, my name is Adrian Salmanovic. I am a, a serial entrepreneur, lifetime entrepreneur, and I've started several companies uh, across many different sectors, but started in the art world. And the company you're referring to is called DNA 11. So almost a decade ago, or a little over a decade ago, my best friend and I, Nazim Ahmed, myself started a company called DNA 11, DNA 11. And what we did was something very unique. We allowed people to take their DNA, a small sample, a cheek cell sample from your mouth, just a cheek swab, and turn it into a DNA portrait. So we actually photograph your DNA and turn it into what we call the world's most personalized portrait, an art piece made from you and your DNA. And that's at DNA11.com if people want to check that out. Well, fantastic. I, I am, I'm, I'm so intrigued by that. And, and so what are some of the other companies that you're also working with today? Well, I'm an advisor to nearly 200 companies on a uh, platform called Clarity.fm. I'm also an advisor to dozens of companies through an accelerator out of San Francisco called 500 Startups. And what I'm focusing most of my energy on these days is my main company, Canvas Pop which is a company that allows you to take any photograph from any source, could be a mobile photograph, an Instagram picture, anything, and print it as art. So we do, um, uh, we took the idea of DNA 11, personalized artwork, and moved into a more mainstream market, which is taking all those photographs that we take every day and turning them into beautiful art for your home. So uh, very much a business to consumer focused company, uh, which we bootstrap uh, to nearly eight figures in revenue from scratch. We recently did raise some venture capital, but that company was bootstrapped over the last decade to where it is today. Absolutely fantastic. So I have to ask this, we're going to take a step back. So before this business success that you've had, and before we could find you in Forbes and Mashable, TechCrunch, and all these other media outlets, before you became this kind of tech superhero that you are today, can you tell us, were you always driven to be an entrepreneur? You said something about you started more in the art industry. So how did you get from there to here? Well, I think um, to answer your first question, yes, I've been a lifetime entrepreneur. I've never had a job really other than the typical part-time jobs in high school. And I think, <laughs> uh, you know, doing those types of medial jobs, which we all do at some point in our life, helps you appreciate, you know, 
the amount of time and effort it takes to work on an hourly basis. And I realized many decades ago that I didn't want to sell my time for money. That is not a way to typically grow and build wealth. And so I became an entrepreneur at the age of 16. Um, I could go back, but it'd be a very long story. But essentially, (laughs) I've sold companies, I've raised money, and I've had real companies since the age of 16 and employees since the age of 16. And I've never looked back and never will look back. I just enjoy building companies. How I got into the art world was because of my passion, which continues to this day for, for artwork, photography, design, collecting art, et cetera. I decided to turn my passion into profit by creating a company that I can have fun with. So DNA 11 started because I had a wild idea to take DNA and turn it into art. I never thought it would turn into a multi-million dollar company. I didn't start off with that incentive. I started off with the incentive is how can I take what I love, art, and the web, which I was into, and turn it into a, a real business. And that's how a lot of companies start, either solving a problem or going after a passion. I decided to go after a passion. And did you, did you have mentors or, or how, or did you just like get very clever and and figure it out yourself? How did, in those early days, where did you go to get the information on, you know, growing a business? Well, that's a great question. I mean, one of the, one of the number one things I tell young entrepreneurs today is get a mentor. And I did the same. And that's one of the ways, best ways to hyper accelerate your education. It's not going to university and doing an MBA necessarily or sitting through a bunch of classes. It's, it's going out and tapping the brains of people who are much more successful than you. So both myself and Nazem have always had coaches and invested significant amount of time and money into coaching. One of my first coaches was Cameron Harold, who is the, uh, was the former COO of 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Yeah, um, I, I've read his book, know him, know him Well. Yeah, great guy. And uh, at the time, he was writing Double Double. And he did help us double-double and double-double-double. So we tripled our revenue while we had him as a coach. I've become very strong friends with him over the years. But he was one of our first coaches. Uh, Robin Sharma, well, who I you know, went to a lot of his programs and learned from him. Uh, also summits, going to events and conferences and just meeting other like-minded people and learning and leveraging the experience of others. It's absolutely critical. Somebody might say, hey, I don't have a huge network. I'm just starting off. Well, there's never been a better time in the history of mankind to tap people's brains. It can be done through books, through biographies, and just simply by going on the internet and doing Google searches for whatever problem you're trying to solve. So the excuses of I don't have a big network or I don't have a mentor almost doesn't apply anymore. Google should be your mentor. But at the same time, you should have some real life coaches that you can sit down for a coffee with every now and then and tap their brains. Now, to add to that, if say you don't have any mentors, well, I'm not an owner of or founder of Clarity.fm, but that site is a site that you can literally go to. There's 70,000 experts on that platform. And for a few dollars a minute, you can tap into anyone's brain for a quick phone call without having to, you know, ask people to go for a coffee or without having to pay consultant fees. You can very easily tap anyone's brain in any field on Clarity FM. So there's a bunch of ways to get that knowledge today, and it's, it's a great time to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. There was a point, and I think we all hit this point, depending on, on the career paths that we take. Like you said, you, you were fortunate, I guess, that you knew early on that you were just going to be an entrepreneur. And I, I started more on the, on the corporate side in business. And I think I'm blessed in that when I started and was like, oh, I need to go get my master's degree, 
I had a mentor who, who was my boss, but he was truly being a mentor and a sponsor. We often talk about the difference between mentors and sponsors. But he said to me, he said, Allison, if you want to learn business, you have to get out into the field. You have to live and breathe the business. And, and I think like what you just said, Adrian, which is great for our, our listeners, is, you know, go and find mentors and, and coaches. I've invested in coaching. It has paid back, as, as you've said, in, in multiple ways. So, um, so super great advice for, for anybody that needed to hear that message. I know you position yourself as a growth expert, and you've already alluded to some of these, these great things that you've been able to achieve. But, you know, rapid growth has a blessing and a, a curse to it. I know I read a statistic someplace that you took one company from zero to $1 million in like 14 months. And, and that's, you know, rapid growth. Can you share some about the toughest moments that you've experienced with, with rapid growth, whether it be talent or technology or just understanding the rules of the game? Well, you've got to be prepared for all of the above, right? Every company today is a technology company. So it doesn't matter whether you're running a restaurant or a dot com e-commerce business app it doesn't matter every company is a tech company and the reality is unless you're venture backed or have a ton of money in the bank uh as your company scales you're going to have growth problems it could be technology and those are good problems to have if, if your technology is not scaling with your customer growth that's a first world problem that can always be fixed with either more capital or by uh reinvesting into technology so we've experienced many problems, many problems uh, during growth stages. But really, if I could define the role of the entrepreneur and founder, it's a problem solver. And if your problem is growth, that's a great yeah, problem. Yeah, problem to have, yeah. And, and so you are going to have technology problems. You're going to have people problems. You're going to have financial uh, strains uh, as you grow. But our job as entrepreneurs is to constantly be looking to solve those issues and again, going back to the mentor and advisors, uh, those are people who can help you off, who've been there, done it, can often help you circumvent those issues by either opening up their network or telling you how they solve that specific problem. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, I can't say there's ever been a stage in the last almost two decades of me being a founder where I haven't experienced some form of growth problem. So I have to ask, I'm going to, I'm going to jump to a different question here. When you talk about like growth problem or, or these, these tough spots, do you have a very specific example and kind of, I like to call them naked lessons, like, you know, Ooh, that was a costly mistake or Ooh, I, I should have taken that advice. Do you have anything that stands out for you? That was like a, whoops, that cost me a lot of money and I'm starting over again. Yeah, I mean, specifically in the early stages of our business, there really weren't any off-the-shelf e-commerce platforms 12 years ago when we started this company. I mean, Shopify was just getting started. They're very good friends of ours, but at the time, they were a small company, and we were building on-demand custom uh, printing products online. There wasn't an off-the-shelf solution, so we had to build our own technology, not having our own tech team initially because we weren't funded. We had to outsource that aspect was a huge opportunity cost, right? We had a, a small team that we we're outsourcing our tech to. We had all sorts of technology issues and problems that were very costly. And one in particular is I remember we were on the Today Show, a major national spot, PR spot that we got during the holidays, and our website went down for hours. Oh. 
Yeah. For thousands of dollars, right? It was after that that we decided that we were going to do the very hard thing and sort of cross the chasm and say, we have to hire our own tech team and build our own tech for our e-commerce company. That ended up costing us hundreds of thousands of dollars. But I can safely say, had we not made that investment and made that leap, and it was very costly and very difficult, that we wouldn't be in business today. And so sometimes you've got to make these decisions and commit and say, look, we're trying to build a $10 million business or a $100 million business. We're going to have to invest in ourselves and, and hope we come out the other end in better shape. In this case, we did. So that's one example of, of, of taking a risk and it paid off. Again, today, you can launch e-commerce companies for hundreds of dollars instead of hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I think that technology is becoming less of a barrier than it was 10 years ago. But nonetheless, you're going to learn new lessons and make new mistakes no matter what as you, as you grow as an entrepreneur. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing those, those examples. Those are really great. It, it actually leads to the next thing I wanted to ask you, because I think in that story, you gave the example of your team. And, and one of the things we know about business today, right, is it's the no, no longer the static model of you have to have full-time staff. And you gave an example of you had outsourced partners and you needed to bring it in-house. But give us an idea of what your kind of employee or resource model is today. Yeah, I mean, we have, you know, dozens of full-time staff in our uh, headquarters and they're mainly uh, specialists. So we have, you know, one person managing social media, one person managing content, another person doing graphic design, another person managing PR. That's an example of our marketing stack. But what I found is outsourcing completely can be very challenging, especially with remote workers, because even though that's the trend, a lot of people are doing remote work. If you do that solely remote workers, let's just say, you don't have the same dynamic as people meeting face-to-face and and working out problems in the same room. On the flip side, if all you have is a bunch of full-time employees uh, working on stuff, then you end up kind of uh, stuck inside and you're not seeing the forest from outside, right? And so you don't have fresh ideas, you don't necessarily, you don't know what you don't know. So what I propose is probably the best model is a a blend. You have to have certain people that own certain areas in your business, but then get specialists to help you solve, for example, search engine optimization. You don't really necessarily need a full-time SEO person in most companies. You can outsource that, optimize, and move on. Same with PR. I mean, although I'm a huge proponent of having a dedicated PR resource inside your company because it can help you with growth, sometimes you just have to do PR a few times a year and you can just work with an independent. Same with content creation. You can have a full-time content person, but you can work with a variety of content partners to help you develop content. So what I'm proposing, it's not a black and white thing. It's more like know what your core is, what your core strengths are, hire those people full-time, and then outsource the more specialized things that you don't need all the time. So I like a hybrid model. Perfect. And, and so here's the thing I'd like to ask you is, Culture, right? Everything is culture today. So for your, your team, that's your, your full-time in, in-house core team, how do you keep your finger on, on culture? What would people say is, is the culture you try to cultivate at your companies? Well, I think it comes from the top. So you're right. Culture does come from the top, but then it's something that, that the team ends up taking ownership of. And often, a couple of things that you can do. Well, one thing that we did early on is we developed a culture book. 
And what, what's a culture book? A culture book is just a, a, a uh, physical book that we published internally with our value statement in it, our why, images um, that we feel encompass what we're about culturally, quotes from our, from our customers, quotes from our employees, things like that. And we'd publish this book using, we use blurb.com to, to publish the book. And then we hand those out to all the employees or have those lying around the office. So that's one visual tool that you can use or a physical tool that you can use to try to get everybody on the same page. Another thing is, at the end of the day, culture comes out of communication, right? Regular town hall meetings where you're sharing what's happening next or what the challenges are. Uh, allowing your employees to communicate with you if they're not happy or if they are happy. And there's a whole bunch of technology tools today that allow you to communicate very effectively in real time with your entire company. One thing we use a lot is Slack. So with Slack, employees are constantly chatting, communicating, sharing information. And we found that Slack's probably been one of the best tools that we use to allow the entire company to communicate even across what we, which we think is a bad word, silos, right? So, so Slack is, is a great tool for that. And we have a lot, our CEO and business partner, Nazim Ahmed, has been great in making sure that we're constantly communicating with our staff and, and inviting communication. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, I think that's great. And do you have, with, with the type of culture, with these uh, tools and techniques that you're talking about, have you been able to keep your staff loyal to your, to your companies? Um, meaning you're not having, I know I read a, a statistic in the U.S. that turnover, the average turnover is like 19%. I mean, me as a business leader, when I start January 1st and look through my office and say, oh, I might lose one out of every five people, are some of these cultural um, things that you're doing paying off for you and staff loyalty? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You have to invest into your employees, whether that's um, celebrating the small moments in the office of, you know, birthdays or, um, you know, when people have babies and being supportive to your employees going out and having like lunch days that we've done often. But generally, um, our churn has been extremely low. Uh, of course, like any company, we've gone through various phases where there have been, you know, layoffs occasionally over the last decade. But for the most part, we, we have a, a, a great culture. We're always looking to improve our culture. And uh, churn can be very expensive because you lose knowledge with people that leave your, your business. So overall, I would say we've experienced very little churn, and it's been a direct result of creating great communication and culture. You know, and, and Adrian, when, when we've talked before, I found it very insightful when you mentioned um, the piece about your core team that you start with when you're in that rapid growth phase versus when you get over that, you know, going from your first million to then your 10 million. Can you share just a little bit on that insight? Because we are running out of time, but I thought that was a really great piece. As loyalty, as loyal as you are to your staff and you want them to be to you, can everybody make that journey with you the whole way? I, I think it's very rare that the person that's with you as you're a startup with low or, or no revenue and you're kind of exploring and, and, and hustling and building up that business initially, often bootstrap companies are forced to hire what I call Swiss army knives. They're people who can do a lot of different things, but they're not an expert in anything. And as you start to scale out the business, you begin to hire more specialized people and then eventually more senior people that are more expensive. One of the realities I think I've seen over and over with a lot of startups, it's very rare, very rare that the founding team, every member that as you start the company in the first year or two will be around 
in seven years. It's just a reality of certain people are better at certain stages, the launch stage, the profitability stage, and eventually the growth stage. Uh, and so uh, that's just a reality of business. And I think the important thing is to know as managers who needs to be on the bus and who needs to get off the bus and timing that properly. Yeah, and it's painful. I, I mean, we've all, as leaders, kept people around too long and we know it. And it's a, that's a tough thing. But thanks for sharing um, your insight on that. So here's the question. You're working on some really cool things today. And if we talked again in two years about the future of work and, you know, how you're preparing your company for the readiness for the future, what do you hope is successful? Like what are your aspirations for the work you're doing right now today? Well, I think it's always to find meaning in whatever you're doing. I mean, that's the core thing. If you don't understand your why, you're not going to get up every morning and do great work. So I think first and foremost, no matter where I am in two years, I'm hoping that the why is something that drives me personally, and that is infectious, right? When people have a strong why, it carries all the way down. I hope that it's whatever we're doing, we're constantly being innovative and we're not stagnating or getting too comfortable. And I hope that uh, whatever we're doing is, is leading edge and bleeding edge. I think that's one of the things that gets us whether you're printing canvases or building apps or whatever we're doing, I take great enjoyment knowing that whatever we're doing is ahead of the curve or slightly ahead of the curve and not behind the curve. So those are the things that have historically kept us in business and growing over the, the last decade. Is there anything else that you would like our listeners to know, any, any resources that you would send them to to learn more about your companies or about you? Um, anything else you'd want to share with our listeners before we close out? Well, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I've taken great enjoyment in is passing on and sharing my knowledge on building multi-million dollar companies without necessarily having to raise money. And so I keep going back to what I uh, really enjoy doing in my free time, which is coaching, you know, hundreds of high performance entrepreneurs during growth stages or product launches. And I, I would love to invite anybody that's looking to launch something or is in the, in the midst of launching a new company or product and needs help understanding how to scale that. I've done it successfully many times and I love helping out these types of entrepreneurs. And so maybe you could include a link to my Clarity FM profile and uh, see if anyone's interested in, in getting that help. And if not for me, there's hundreds of others of entrepreneurs on there that people can, can tap their brains. So I'm a huge fan of Clarity FM. No, I absolutely Thank you for introducing that into this podcast. Adrian, it has been great talking with you. To our listeners, as Adrian said, check the comments for more information. And if you liked this podcast, please share it, please comment, tell others about it. And personally, if you would like to refer an innovative leader to be interviewed for the Disruptive CEO podcast, send me a note at connect at allisonksummers.com. And until next time, keep your eye on the future. Thank you. And thank you, Adrian. Thanks. I really enjoyed it. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.